I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Okay, we're going to end right there. Father, Lord, I pray that you bless the reading of your word today. We pray that you would help us to be unified in, in the gospel, unified in Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to get away from personality. May we have a deeper uh, church, not a shallow church, not a carnal church. Lord, I pray that you would help us to yield to the Holy Spirit so we're not walking in the flesh. I do pray that you bless the, uh, the, the, the folks that are here today. Anoint the service with your power. I pray that you would encourage our hearts and, uh, Lord, edify our spirit, our souls, even our bodies in a moment as we enjoy fellowship and food. I do pray that you bless all that is said and done today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So, okay, all of the Apostle Paul's letters or epistles have practical information, but it's rooted in doctrine. It's rooted in truth, in teaching. And the same is true here in the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3. I'll give you a hint. Uh, it's the first half is doctrine, okay? So the last half is practical. So chapters 1 through 3 is what? Doctrine. Chapters 4 through 6 is application, practical application, okay? And uh, so Paul has it. It's a good balance. I think we need that in life. Because if all we do is, is teach doctrine but never apply it, guess what? We're just, we're just getting information. We're assimilating information. And uh, nothing is dynamic unless it's specific. And so what we need to do is we need to take truth but give it, give it some legs to walk on, okay? Give it some application. Some of us are a little bit dense and we have a hard time connecting the dots. So Paul helps us out. He gives us chapters 4 through 6 to give us some, uh, some actual, like, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that. That, that. That's good. I see what he's saying about husbands and wives and children and, and the church, how we can flesh this out. So that's great. Uh, the Christian life, my friend, is not based on ignorance. Okay? It is rooted in knowledge. It's rooted in good, sound doctrine and teaching. And the better we understand Bible doctrine, the easier it is to apply Bible doctrine. Okay? Ignorance is not an excuse for us because we have the Bible. We have the Bible and we also have someone else to help us. And who is that? That is the Holy Spirit. So ignorance is no longer an excuse for us. Don't you hate that? You know, sometimes it's easier for us to say, well, ignorance is bliss. You know, we kind of let ourselves off. We give ourselves a pass or an excuse. But my friend, ignorance isn't bliss. Uh, and, it, and it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse to live however we want to live. And so uh, we, we have the practical application of truth, too. Paul helps us out. As we begin chapter 4, I want you to see a word. Uh, a word, uh, the second word in. I, therefore... The word therefore indicates that Paul is basing his practical applications, chapters 4 through 6. He's basing it on something. He's going back to the doctrine, the Bible teaching that's in chapters 1 through 3. Uh, I think of the same thing Paul talks about in 1 Timothy. If you want to turn there, you can. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Paul writes, these things write unto thee. Hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Now, what's the house of God in the New Testament? It's not the temple. It's not the tabernacle. It is what? Uh, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? So the house of God, how should we behave ourselves in our bodies, okay? 
in, in our worship center, okay? So he says, verse 14, 1 Timothy chapter 3, these things, okay, he's basing what he's saying here. He's saying, looking back, these things that I've told you, Timothy, these things write I unto thee, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave. Aren't you so glad that God tells us how to behave? Now, the hard part is applying the truth, right? It's hard to do the things that God tells us to do. But my friend, may I admonish us all today, may I admonish you that we would not be hearers only, but rather doers of what the word of God says, according to the book of James. Uh, So you might be thinking, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you do the right thing. Well, how do we know what the right thing is? It's important what we believe. What we believe determines how we live. Get that this morning. What we believe here and here determines how we live. Out of the heart are the issues of life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You cannot divide belief from behavior. They go hand in hand. So wouldn't it be important, since we have to start with belief, that we get the right beliefs? So that's why Paul starts chapters 1 through 3 with doctrine. And then he says here, let's apply this. I want to just stop for one second, since we're not going to go very far in this chapter this morning. Actually, we're only going to go to verse 1. But I want to stop here and just say, it is important that we continually acquaint our children with good, solid Bible teaching. When you bring your children up in church, when you bring them to Sunday school and the prayer meeting, you are maximizing their exposure to the truth. A mature Christian realizes that their life is supposed to be a life that influences other people For God's glory. And especially if you have children. Because you have an awesome, a glorious responsibility in raising children. And it's not going to be an excuse to say, well, they, they can just determine what they want to believe because they're an individual. That's not an excuse because God entrusted you with those young hearts and minds. And we understand that children, yes, they they do make their own decisions sometimes, right? They do go their own way sometimes. But by God's grace, we have been entrusted to do whatever we can to raise our children for the glory of God. The goal is not to raise good kids. The goal is to raise godly kids. Another generation to serve the Lord. Oh, it doesn't have to be, well, they're third generation Christians. They got everything going against them. And, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to make it. So we might as well not even try, you know, because it's just the, the, the odds are stacked against them. Why can't we have third and fourth and fifth and sixth generation Christians that are serving God? just as strongly as their great-grandparents were serving God. My father-in-law put this on social media this morning. 
It's called the four-generation fade. Number one, parents don't make church a high priority for their kids. Number two, kids grow up and make it less of a priority for their kids. Number three, those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids. Four, those kids grow up without a concept of God. Priorities impact generations. So I understand sometimes children go and do their own things, but it is our responsibility to do whatever we can to save uh, their life from destruction. And if you expose them to truth and you're teaching truth and you're building your home on truth, you cannot go wrong. They, they, I, I'm thankful for our own free will. God left our free will intact when Jesus came to save us. Even though Jesus, I believe, died on the cross to save all people, not all have received the free gift of salvation. Why? Because we have a free will. God freely saves, but he doesn't force. He doesn't force us to be saved. And so, you can do all that you can, just like God did all that he could to save us. And yet some still reject. Heart of compassion for those parents that have children that have not done what they were taught to do. But don't ever lose hope. Continue to pray and love those children. Don't go into the far country like the prodigal son. You don't have to go into the sin with them, my friend. Don't do that. They have to have a place to come back to. Praise God for a, a loving father and a loving mother where a child who's, who's gone their way, they know they've done wrong. You don't have to rub their nose in it. You don't have to um, overly embarrass them and, and hurt them in that sense. And, but you also don't have to go to the other extreme where you just cover for them and you just you know, gloss over what they're doing. Yes, let's deal in truth. Let's say what you're doing is wrong, but I still love you. I still love you. I don't love your sin, but I still love you. That's how God is. He loves us. And um, when we come to him, he will in no wise cast out. Praise God. We, but we have to come in repentance, okay? It's not cheap grace. I'll get to that in a second. I'll probably share this right now, actually. There's no sinner too bad for God's grace. I want to establish that right now. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a uh, Christian preacher in um, many, many years ago, he wrote, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. Without the cross and without the sin that we have and without exalting the truth of God's impending judgment, there's no need for grace. See, there's no need for the cross without understanding that we're sinners. And so let's not cheapen that. Of course, we have to... Uh, we, we, we are uh, not to uh, dip our sails and cheapen things and not exalt truth just because you love somebody. See, we have a lie that's kind of pervasive in our culture right now that if you don't accept everything about a person, even the bad things that they're doing, then you don't love them. That's false. That's false. That's false. Because you can still love somebody while rejecting their sin. 
So don't let anyone tell you that you're not a loving person just because you don't agree with their lifestyle choice. Okay? Because God doesn't agree with some of our lifestyle choices. Okay? But he still loves us. But we're not going to cheapen the grace of God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, what should we say? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? What does he say? God forbid. How, are, how should we that are dead to sin live any longer? In sin. Okay? So uh, what is left of real truth in our society is eroding away. There's, you can't depend on the culture to raise your children, for goodness sake. And you shouldn't depend on the church to raise your children. It's, beyond, it, it, it's upon us as parents to lead our homes. Dads, lead your wife. Lead your home. Uh, Mom, lead the children with dad. I know some, of, some uh, are doing it all alone. Is that an excuse to give up? No. But be strong and steadfast in declaring truth and exalting truth. Do we get it right every time? No. But you're, you're not going to go wrong, like I've said, with the word of God. Praise God we have an anchor in this old world where, uh, where morality and right and wrong, uh, the, the good things that we have enjoyed in this country as far as a understanding of right and wrong, a conscience in our society, that's going away. It's going away. But who can be the conscience and who should be the conscience? The church of God, amen? amen? And so let us be outspoken. You can lose your faith if it's not anchored in truth. Carolyn Boss Crabtree writes, I grew up in a Bible teaching church and literally believed the word of God is truth. While I was in college, I came to believe that God created through evolution. So she became a theistic evolutionist. She said, I was trying hard to hold on to the Bible teachings that I had as a child while adjusting my mind to accept the teachings of my college professors. We've got to be careful that we're not throwing our kids into a place where they're having to make these kinds of uh, serious decisions without the right foundation, okay? That's why we start young and start early and build them on the right foundation. Be careful who you expose them to. Influence is so important. As a, re- as a result, I began a process of changing my beliefs in the other parts of the Bible. Not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well. What happens to us when we begin to question the biblical account of creation in Genesis is that it becomes easier to throw away other parts of the scripture as well. The loss of our belief in truth is subtle and slow. We may not even realize that certain beliefs are going away until they are completely gone. Praise God, this lady, uh, she got back to the truth. Okay, But she describes what happened in college, in the university. Uh, Beware of the gradual shift towards false doctrine, false teaching. The shift away from truth. Uh, English explorer William Edward Perry once took a crew to the Arctic Ocean. They wanted to go further north to continue their charting, so they calculated their location by the stars and started a very difficult and treacherous march north. They walked an hour, and they walked another hour. Hour upon hour, finally totally exhausted, they stopped. Taking their bearings again from the stars, they discovered that they were further south than they had been had been when they had started and they had been walking they found out they had been walking on an ice flow that was moving south faster than they were walking north the gradual shift 
You might not realize it because you're making forward progression. But as things erode around us, we can very easily succumb to the idea that we're going in the right direction just because we're going, uh, you know, we're, we're maybe just, uh, you know, we're, 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 we think we're going in the right direction. But if we're not founded on the word of God, we're not going in the right direction. Charles Stanley said, when we lack direction, we don't simply stagnate. We will continue to move, usually, in an unhealthy direction. So, just by saying, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you do what's right. Well, what is right can be relative. Because there's a lot of what is right, relative what is right in the world. It's this postmodern ideology of what you want to believe is fine, what I want to believe is fine. There's no absolute truth. Relativism. A lot of relative goodness and morality, but there's only one true right and wrong, and that's found in the Word of God. There's truth, and the only truth is found in the Bible. So that needs to be our compass and our bearing. Um, <clears throat> we need to be proactive with building a foundation of truth under our children. No one ever drifts towards God. Now get that. No one ever drifts towards God. They drift away from him. Why? Because if we're drifting, we are, we are um, heeding the flesh. We're listening to the flesh because we're doing what comes easy. You know which direction water goes? Does water naturally go upstream? I mean, by virtue of the fact I'm saying upstream, uh, we understand the stream does not go up naturally, Okay. Uh, uh, any dead fish, as they say, can go downstream. It takes a live one to go upstream, okay? So water naturally, uh, its natural path is one of the least resistance, like electricity, a few other things kind of follow, and, and maybe I'm uh, beyond my, I, I might have already violated some law that's out there by saying electricity takes the path of least resistance. But my, my um, uh, very uh, you know, limited knowledge of electricity and water goes the path of least resistance. It goes where it, it's going to find the easiest way towards a um, uh, towards 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 where it's going. Okay, so we know that uh, uh, if we're following the path of least resistance, we're not going away. We're we're not going towards God. We're going away from God. It has to be a proactive movement towards God with our children, our foundation. If if, if you want to have children that are listening to the truth and heeding God, listening to God, you need to build them on a foundation of truth. Bring them to church. Have devotions. Deuteronomy 6, 6. We find the, um, uh, the words of Moses here. And this was something that they were, the Jewish people would, uh, would recite. And they would uh, they believe these things. Verse 6, the Bible says, Deuteronomy 6, 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Okay, get the truth in your heart, get it in your soul. And he says, and thou shalt teach them diligently. I think that word is, is, uh, is a very important. Teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house. Talk about the Bible. And when thou walk, uh, walkest by the way, when we're out and about, we should talk about the Bible. Our conversations should drift towards uh, truth. When things come up, and they will, Mom, why is that person, why do they look that way? Why, why, do they, why, are they, why is their hair that way? Why is their, their clothes that way? Why are, why are they doing what they're doing? 
prime opportunity to get back to the word of God. Prime opportunity to teach and instruct and admonish children. Uh, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. See, Paul built this important letter to the Ephesians on a foundation of doctrine. So we go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, we see there the word walk, important word there, walk. He says walk worthy. The word walk is used to describe our lifestyle, our, is to denote our life, our conduct. And then we see the word beseech there, okay? Verse number one. He says, beseech you, I beseech you. That word is parakaleo, which means to call near. He's saying, hey, come listen to what I've got to tell you here. This is important. He says, based on what I've already, uh, I've already taught you in this letter, based on the truth and the doctrine that you've gotten, he says, I beseech you that you walk, that you conduct yourself in a worthy manner. You know, none of us are worthy of God's grace, okay? None of us are worthy of God's mercy. But my friend, I want to tell you some good news. There's not one person that is worthless to God. See, God's grace is not cheap. It costs him a lot. He loves you that much. You're not worthless. Um, he's saying here with this beseech, this call near, listen to me, he's saying, it indicates that God in love urges us. He's urging us, kind of like Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren. Why? By the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. There's a reason I'm telling you to live this way. It's because you've been given so much. I beseech you therefore, and you can look at this up later, Romans 12, 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Same idea here. Verse number 1, Ephesians 4. He's saying, I beseech you, therefore I beseech you, that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. He's saying, uh, he doesn't say what they would say in the Old Testament to the Jews. Um, God's message was, if you obey me, I will bless you. Okay? No, he's saying, because I've blessed you, obey me. Isn't that awesome? We live in this age we live in this time where we can look back at the cross and we can say, God's grace saved me. God's grace redeemed me. And so Paul says, because of God's grace and all that he's done for us, all those things that he laid out there in chapters 1 through 3, all the things that God has done for us, because of his goodness, we should obey him. I've already blessed you. My response to God's love and grace is to obey. God's grace is wonderful, my friend. He picked us up from despair and destruction. I, I heard about a plumbing company that had a van. And on the side of this van was painted these, this phrase, there is no place too deep, too dark, or too dirty for us to handle. Unless we start thinking highly of ourselves, let us remember that God came to a, a deep place, a dark place, and a dirty place to save us from our sin. Amen? Praise God for that. That he decided to come to where we were. See, we needed a man to lay down his life for us. And so, in God's great sovereign uh, mercy and grace and all of this plan, 
He, he, he came and uh, 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 John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Man, he gave us so much. It wasn't too far for him. It wasn't cheap, but it's awesome. And there's no sinner too bad for God's grace. Amen? There's no sin. You know, some people don't get saved. You know why? Because they think they're too good to, to humble themselves. But then there's some people that think that they're not, they think they're worthless. My friend, there's nobody worthless to God. We're not worthy, but we're not worthless. God loves you. He loves you. And, and Jesus died for you. And if you're breathing this morning, uh, then, then God wants to, he, he can save you, okay? God wants to save you. And uh, God's grace is amazing. I think of a man named John Newton. John Newton, a man who knew a lot about grace because he was a great sinner. A great sinner. And John Newton is a man who, who knew a lot about grace, so he decided to write a song about grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a what? A wretch like me. A wretch, a worm, whatever you want to put in there. A wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. So God's grace is free, but it wasn't cheap. And amazing grace on, on uh, John Newton's tombstone, his epitaph, it said, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Oh, I think of uh, John Newton. I think of the Apostle Paul. Similar story, right? Uh, different background, I guess. He wasn't a slave trader, but he was a, he was a persecutor of Christians. And uh, God's grace uh, was amazing in his life. And he hadn't gone too far for God to save him. And I, I praise God. You know, you've got some people in your family that, are, that, that most Christians even would say, well, they're beyond hope. There's some people in our community that some people would say they're beyond hope. There's actually um, uh, a man in our church, many of you know him, but he's working on getting a CDL. I won't embarrass him, but we're working on getting that CDL, but we've been going to this place over on 2905 West Hope and uh, to get the CDL training done, and, and he's doing such a good, he's doing all his part. It's just the whole process is kind of long and arduous, but I told the guy that uh, his locations are on Hope, and, and he's like, it's spelled H-O-P-E, you know, Hope, not Holt, Hope. I said, yeah. I said, many years ago at Pilgrim Baptist Church, thinking of the bus ministry, there were some people, I told him this story, there were some people that used to live beyond Hope. And uh, they would say, oh, yeah, they're up, they're up there beyond, they're beyond Hope. You know, the Smith family, they're beyond Hope. And they live past Hope Street. But there's nobody that's beyond Hope, my friend. There's nobody that God can't save. And uh, there's some people in our community that some, some Christians say, oh, they're beyond hope. God can't save them. My friend, if you don't think God could save them, I kind of wonder if you know if you're saved. And this morning, if you don't believe that somebody could be saved uh, from their sin, maybe you should get reacquainted from, uh, with the sinner you were. I think what Paul says, of such were some of you. And we get kind of filled with, with pride and filled with self sometimes to think that, well, God saved me, but those people, they're beyond hope. Friend, you're in the same position. I was in the same position. Doesn't matter. I didn't rob any banks. But I'm just as lost as, as a murderous bank robber sitting in on Skid Row or sitting in uh sitting in uh 
uh, you know, they're, they're, they're on the death row, okay? You know, they might be there, uh, their, next, uh, their next step is to go into the death chamber. But my friend, I am just a wicked sinner saved by grace, and so are you. And so grace did not free John Newton to serve no master, okay, now that he was freed, but he was free to save a new master. And so my friend, God saves us, he, he, he picks us up in grace, his love, and, uh, his love exhibited through grace and mercy, and praise God, he picked us up, and he put us up on, the, on solid ground, but he didn't leave us there to live for ourselves. We are saved to no longer serve sin. Our master of sin has been destroyed, praise God for that. But don't forget, we have a new and wonderful master, our Savior and Lord. And so let us serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, because of God's grace, you need to walk worthy. Let us live the way we know we ought to live today. Now, praise God, we have that freedom to do that. God has given us such a marvelous blessing, a marvelous, marvelous calling calling a purpose so many christians live without purpose why we need purpose we have a purpose but sometimes we forget our purpose our purpose is not to come and sit on the pew on sunday morning to sit soak and sour you know some people just come to just kind of like i'm doing my duty my christian duty i'm doing what i'm required to do my friend we shouldn't look at the Christian life as a duty. We might say these are our duties, these are things we're supposed to do, but let's not look at it that way. Let us remember the grace of God, the second that we become filled with, with, uh, with, with victimhood and all of this thing, oh, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have to do that, you know, the, the church should be you know, taking care of this and dealing with this and helping me with this, and why should I be required to go to this event, and why should I be required to give to that thing, and, and what does God need my, you know, what is God wanting from me anymore anyways, you know, I'm beyond, uh, I'm beyond being able to help with, with things around uh, in God's work, you know, and we get this kind of this victimhood, we start thinking about ourselves, we start feeling sorry for ourselves, my friend, the second we get a little bit like that, we just need to go back to the cross of Jesus Christ, remember where we were saved. And remember what we were saved from. And remember the great grace of God. And maybe we need to get into the scriptures. That might help us a little bit. Get into the word of God. And maybe we need to just get the hymn book out and start singing a little bit. You don't have to sing uh, well. You don't have to be able to carry a tune in a bucket. But you can sing from your heart the, 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 the glorious grace of God. And God's love and mercy poured out on us. Praise God for that. And so let us not forget the marvelous calling that we have in Christ. And our responsibility to live up to that calling. We have a wonderful master. We have a wonderful Lord. We have a wonderful uh, uh, opportunity. We, we forget that we have a work to do here. And our work is not our career. See, the career is, to, is the means by which we can do our ministry. Okay, Let's not get it the other way around. I understand that when you go to work, you might be saying, well, I have to work 60, 80 hours a week. I don't have time to do all the things I want to do for the Lord. Well, even in your workplace, God put you there for a reason. There's a calling for you right where you're at. You might be saying, well, I'm not working for God. I'm not working for, the, I'm not working for Jesus. I wish I, could, I wish I could go work at the church and, and not have to uh, you know, uh, go through this grind every week. 
get into the word, but start changing your thinking a little bit on that. You realize that we can do everything in our, in our life, whether the person knows it or not. Whether your boss knows it or not, you can actually serve the Lord right where you're working. You might be saying, well, I can't witness to every person. I've, and, you know, they won't let me do that. You can do what you're doing as unto the Lord, and God will give you opportunity to witness. Don't worry about that. You'll have opportunity. The second that we change our tune about our workplace and our, our, um, our, our secular vocation and realize that our Christian vocation, our spiritual duty actually should be in our workplace as well, as we're doing what we're doing as unto the Lord, we're going to find that there's more opportunities there than we realized. There's opportunities to witness wherever you go. I worked one job just for a few months, and um, that, I, I was doing that and, uh, early on. I was probably 22, 23, somewhere in there. And I wasn't necessarily super outspoken. It wasn't a place where I was at a workstation. I was driving a school bus. The most I talked to people typically was when we come to work, when we leave, and I didn't usually come real early. <laughs> I was one of those get to work and come in three minutes before kind of person, okay? Some of you probably get 30 minutes before, you know? I'm not, and I'm thinking to myself, the boss isn't paying me to sit here. I don't know if I want to do this. But I understand for you it's like a stress thing. You don't want to be stressed out coming to work. I stress everyone else in my family out because I, I cut it down to the last second. That's probably not a good thing. But I was the kind of person I'd come in, do my thing, try to have a good spirit and a good attitude, and then leave because most of everyone else was heading to the bar, especially Friday night, you know, and they're going all these other places. I, I wasn't a part of that, of course, but, you know, uh, you know, the most I talked to anyone was over the, the radio, you know, 10-4, good buddy, you know, and, and uh, you know, I have a little dispatch radio in the bus. And, but for some reason, as people were curious as to what I did, you know, I said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a youth pastor. I, I was outspoken in that way. I, I'm a youth pastor. I just graduated from Bible college. And then I found out there were probably some people that did avoid me because of that. But then there was a good group that would say, hey, Pastor Paul. They started calling me Pastor Paul. We have a question for you. They asked me questions. I didn't get a soapbox out. I didn't stand up on the break room table and start preaching the word of God to them. But they, they were curious as to what I thought about things. I don't think I was violating the boss's rules by answering questions. And some of you do that too. I'm praising God for that. I know some of you have a wonderful testimony at work. But out of that, there was a lady who used to work there that was there before I ever worked at, at, at this company. She passed away while I was working there. And all of her friends were there. And, and she, uh, she had passed away. And the folks at work said, this lady has no family. Nobody, nobody uh, cares about her. They've all disowned her. And her work family is her only family that she has. And we've scraped together some money to do this funeral for her. They were going to, you know, have a, a wonderful service. But they said, we don't have a preacher. Right? And they said, can you preach the funeral? I said, yes. I'll come and preach the, preach the funeral. I'm going to preach the word of God, though. Is that okay? And they said, that's fine. We don't know. You know, that's fine. Whatever you want to do is fine. So my wife, we were married just a few months at this point. My wife and I went down here to Forest Hill Cemetery in Oak Creek. And, uh, and there they were. They were all standing around. All of my coworkers. My boss was there. And I got to de de declare the word of God. I'm not sure who got saved in that meeting. I hope some did. But I will say this. 
when you have just an outspoken testimony, you will have opportunities to witness in your workplace. When you go to work with, the, uh, uh, with your head down and, and feeling sorry for yourself and just saying, well, this, this stinks. I wish, you know, I'm getting nowhere in my life and, and there's no opportunities to serve God and, and I, I feel like I'm a slave to this workplace. I can't do anything else. I don't have time to serve God. You will have a horrible week. I'm just going to tell you right now. And you're probably going to have a, a, just a, a hard time in your devotional life and in your relationship with God and your relationship with the church and relationship with others. But my friend, tomorrow morning, Monday, if you're going into work tomorrow morning or this afternoon or this evening, you need to go into your workplace and say, by the, by the grace of God, I'm going to go into this place with the right attitude, with the right motivation. My motivation is to bring glory to God. And even working for a secular, mean, ungodly boss or environment, workplace, corporation, whatever it is that God is, wherever he's put you, even despite all of that, you can serve God in your 40 to 80 hours a week because you're doing it for God's glory. And he will give you opportunities if you are worthy of that responsibility. You might say, well, why don't we have more people coming to church? Why don't we have more of this or that? Well, do, let me ask you a question. Do you think God, do you think we're responsible enough to handle what we think is supposed to happen here? Are we responsible enough for that? How many of you are faithful to the services? All of the services. Don't look around and criticize. Look at yourself and say, I'm not doing what I should be doing for the Lord. How, wh why would God send new Christians here, new converts? Why would somebody, why would God say, Souls Harbor Baptist Church needs to have 10 people saved and baptized, added to the church. Why would God do that if we aren't doing our responsibility, not only of witnessing and going, but of discipling those who God brings us? Until we're doing all that we can and doing everything that we should be doing, then we shouldn't scratch our head and wonder why we aren't given more responsibility. He that is faithful in least is faithful also in much. I saw a picture this week of a guy. Uh, he was washing his bike at a, at a car wash. One of those, you know, get the, the big uh, spray uh, wand, you know, and washing your car typically. But he had a bicycle there. And uh, I just saw somebody say put on, he that is faithful in least is faithful also in much. If he's going to take good care of that bicycle, God's going to bless him probably with some bigger responsibilities someday. See, it's the same thing in our life. It's just, it's just a life principle, my friend. If we're not going to take care of our little house, why would you want a bigger house to, to trash and to, and to not take care of and not clean up after and not vacuum and not to uh, repair and, and maintain? Let's take what God's given us and maximize it to its fullest potential. Your children, you might be saying, why didn't God give me some smart children? I got to work with these dummies. You know, the, the kids are probably saying, why didn't God give me some smart parents? God gave me these dummies to work with. What You might be saying, well, I want a bigger house. I want a better car. I, and, and I'm not trying to get into all this stupid consumerism and this fake prosperity gospel, all that stuff. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying, it is a biblical principle that if you take care of what God's given to you, he can entrust you with more. So let's take it to the spiritual level. 
let's not just live in the, in the, you know, the fleshly, uh, shallow thing that most churches focus on. Oh, you know, I need a, a big house. I need, a, I need this. And, a, you know, God's going to unlock my next blessing because I trusted him with this little thing. That is so kindergarten, okay? That's not that important when we understand that there's more, spirit, there's more important things at, at stake here. Spiritual things. The reason the church exists. The reason we're still here and God didn't just beam us up after we got saved, okay? And that is not just about having a nice life and a nice little uh, American dream life and all of this stuff that everyone really wants. you know, have a, a life coach or whatever. Oh, get over that. Let's, let's focus on what really matters. World evangelism. World evangelism. How about we start right where God told us to start, Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem is the city of Milwaukee. There's so much opportunity here. Sometimes the hard part is not, not you know, having a place, uh, having, having, a thing, uh, having something to do. The hard part is not the potential the hard part is knowing where to start. So let's start where we're at. God's given us this building. We don't need a bigger building right now. But God's given us 200 seats. We could fill this and do two services. We would need a bigger parking lot at that point, but God's given us what we've got. So why don't we maximize this to our potential, to its potential? God's given you maybe one kid, two kids, three children. Grandchildren, God's given you a spouse, God's given you a ministry. Maximize those things to their fullest spiritual potential, and you will be amazed. When we put the work in by being responsible, by being faithful, by being consistent, by teaching doctrine, by living out the doctrine, God will do amazing things in our life that would far exceed driving the fanciest car you could imagine or any of the other stupid things that people are living for right now, the, the real things that matter, the fruit that remains, that's what we should be focusing on. The other stuff takes care of itself. Some people say, well, I asked God for the desires of my heart. The Bible said he'll give me the desires of my heart. My friend, if God doesn't give you the desires of your heart, it's because your desires were wrong. Okay? If you're faithful to him, if you're really following him, a couple things will happen. Either he'll give you what you're really desiring or he'll change your desires to the right things okay so let us get out of kindergarten my friend let's get into a little bit more of an advanced grade spiritually and live the bible christianity okay not not 21st century philosophy that's called christianity okay bible bible living Grace didn't free us to serve a new, uh, to serve no master, but to serve a new master. Praise God. I love that song. I sing a new song since Jesus came. Serve a new master, wear a new name, walk a new road, have a new goal. No new peace down deep in my soul. Okay? And God's going to do wonderful things if you don't limit him. Let's stand as we pray this morning. Father, Lord, help us as we make this application today. Well, we realize that there is a there's a reason that you have given us the word of God. You didn't leave us without an anchor. You gave us a foundation to build upon. 
We know scripturally the foundation is Jesus Christ. We have the living word, but the written word too. Lord, you've given us the word of God to cleanse us, to instruct us, and you've given us the Holy Spirit to do that as well. Lord, help us to yield to you. Submit to the plan. Submit to what you are wanting to do in this world, not what we want to see. Lord, help us to have vision, but Lord, help us to get a vision for what you want. And Father, we thank you for the true blessings that we can have if we do it the right way, rather than the conniving and the scheming that so many times goes on. We're like, well, we got pretty good kids, and we got, you know, we kind of got close, and they're not doing drugs, praise God, but Lord, help us to realize that is you got more for us than to have a nice life here in America, but to be a success, a success as a disciple, maximizing potential, not what we think, but what you want. Father, Lord, I pray that you would bless our time of invitation. Help us to come and sincerely pray and ask you for help here today, Lord, to, to walk worthy. Lord, of course, we're not worthy, but thank you that we're not worthless. You love us very much. Help us to live up to that potential. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Across the room, we're coming.